0: What defines crazy? One way Urban Dictionary defines crazy is someone who will go against the rules, a person who acts in a manner that
1: normal society does not approve of. We would add that crazy can be defined as enigmatic, meaning mysterious or speaking in riddles, often misunderstood.
0: God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8-9, through For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my
1: ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yet even though He is enigmatic, He tells us in seven places in Scripture that if we seek Him, we will find Him when we search with all of our heart. Journey with us as we seek Him and explore the evidence that confirms God be crazy. Welcome back to the God Be Crazy podcast. If you've joined us in the first three episodes, you know that we've talked quite a bit about suffering. In the last episode entitled Not Your Granny's Podcast, Christy and I talked about the suffering that we endure at our own hands via free will and the suffering we endure at the hands of others, their free will. We touched briefly on the suffering from God's hands, specifically the circumstances outside of our free will and control, what He allows, And today we're going to take a deeper dive into that subject the suffering that we endure at god's hand that he allows and why he allows that as well as the suffering we experience because god has given the enemy temporary power and authority here on earth and not just allows but orchestrates yes orchestrates he purposefully crafts it yeah so we're going to start with the story from ezekiel a book of prophecy in the old testament written by the prophet Ezekiel who received visions and words directly from God. Specifically, we'll be reading from Ezekiel 24. These events happened a long time ago in a culture that would appear to be nothing like ours. But as you're about to hear, we are more alike than you would assume, and the message of this story transcends time. It is quite relevant to us today. So, Christy, you want to start?
0: Yeah, so Ezekiel was a prophet, as you said, that was tasked with Um, speaking to the Israelites and the Israelites they at that time they were a hard-hearted people Mm -hmm. and um, in Ezekiel well I'll just read Ezekiel 24 I'm going to start with verse 15 and read to the end of the chapter B through 27 also the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man behold I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke yet you shall neither mourn nor weep nor shall your tears run down Sign silence, make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things signify to us that you behave so? Then I answered them. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul, and your sons and daughters, whom left behind, shall fall by the sword. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips, nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Your turbans shall be on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You shall neither mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and mourn with one another. Thus, Ezekiel is a sign to you. According to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord God. And you, Son of Man, will it not be in that day, when I take from them their stronghold, their joy, their glory, the desire of their eyes, and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters? That on that day, one who escapes will come to you to let you hear it with your ears. On that day, your mouth will be open to him who has escaped. You shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you will be assigned to them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. That's a lot. <laughs> and probably is confusing to some people when you read it like that. But basically, what he is saying to Ezekiel is the Israelite people are not acting the way I want them to. They're not doing as I've commanded. They have turned a house of worship, the temple into a place where they follow their customs and their traditions. And they value those customs, those traditions, the the temple itself mm-hmm. more than they value the relationship with God and obedience to him and doing what he's asked. Mm-hmm. And He is telling Ezekiel, you're going to go to these people and you're going to tell them that they need to turn from their ways. And he had been telling them that. He had been preaching that that to them and they hadn't gotten the message. Right. And so he said, since they're not
1: getting it, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to take drastic measures. I'm going to take these drastic
0: measures. I am going to take your wife, the delight of your own eye. She's going to die, and when she does, you're not to mourn for her. You're not to have a celebration feast, so no funeral in our language.
1: Right.
0: No, don't get together with your family. You just, you get a groan a little bit about it at home that night, and the next day you get up and pretend like nothing's Mm -hmm. happened. And you go preach to these people what I've said, and everybody's going to look at you like you're nuts. He didn't say this, but this is what's inferred, you know? Right. Just like we would today, if we see somebody whose family is torn apart and they go,
1: and they just move on about yeah, their business they just and move continue, on. we would be
0: like, "Oh man, they must be cold-hearted, or they must not have cared about their wife," or the things we infer, you know. But the people looked at him like, "What is your problem, dude? Like, why aren't you mourning your wife?" And he, his only response to them was what he said whenever he preached to them. He told them that I am the example. For you guys to follow because what's fixing to happen is God's going to destroy this temple that y'all have made an idol. Mm-hmm. He's going to destroy your sons and daughters that are left behind. And when he does that, because he's going to, when he does it, you are to do just as I have done. You're not to celebrate them. You're not to mourn them. You are to get up, get dressed the next day and go on about your business. And you are to mourn silently Mm yeah and he says that to them because their days of pining over the idols and strongholds those are over ezekiel's suffering spoke to a much greater story and that was what god was weaving together he was calling his people back to himself you know at the destruction of of the temple god's house. He used Ezekiel to speak that message of hope that he was still coming for Israel. And he does that later by coming in the flesh, right? Right. You know, and the cost of being far from God, from God always outweighs whatever circumstance in our moment that we are holding on to. You know, like
1: help exactly. me out here. Exactly. So he's willing to allow us to suffer temporarily because he does not want us yes. to suffer eternally. Yes. Our eternal lives are hanging in the balance. And so if he has to cut us a little bit while we're on this earth, right. he is not above that. He wants us to hurt here and change and turn directions so that we don't pay yes. that long-term eternal consequence of separation from him forever Mm -hmm. he is calling his people back to the main source of life himself Mm -hmm. and he's not doing it from a i'm so great y'all bow down to me i'm he's not jealous in the ways that we're jealous of each other or we want affirmation and all the attention that is not who god is he wants us to be close to him because he is literally the safest the most trustworthy being in all of creation, and we are not safe outside of Him. And if we continue to choose our idols, our strongholds, um, our religion, and our worship about, styles, Uh yeah, you know, our kids, yes. our families, our careers, you know, anything, anything that competes yeah. with Him, He even Netflix. I mean, people binge watching is a normal. Thing to do in society, we yeah. joke about how we binge watch things, and we joke about how much time we spend distracted and in entertainment. But the reality of that is, it pulls us away right. from a true life source. When I hear people, and I'm guilty of this too, and have been in my life, he's he's gotten a hold of that certainly and refined me in a different direction. But there were seasons of my life where that was relaxation. Yeah, where sitting stone cold in front of um, a, a season of whatever on TV was the thing that helped me unwind. But that is not relaxation. That is not rejuvenation. That is a checkout. It's a distraction. Exactly. It's a numb. It's a place to go numb out my mm-hmm. brain and I am not restored because I watched this show. Now my brain did something different that was a little bit, it it did not have two adults, so Mm -hmm. woo, that feels good not having to have responsibilities or have an active brain after a whole day of activity. But it is not rejuvenation. And he's calling in this story with Ezekiel so many years ago in a different culture, and a different time, Mm -hmm. that none of us can even comprehend what the kind of lives they were living. But back even back then they didn't have all the dis- they just had different kinds of distractions and idols and strongholds right. those have been present since there have been since mankind has been on the earth there has been competition for love outside of God and he's even saying he even takes Ezekiel who's loyal to him yes. who's willing to do what he says even though it it cuts him you know, there's a song that I love by Shane and Shane called, Though You Slay Me. Mm-hmm. You should listen to it. Go listen to the song. It is, oh, it, when I first heard that song, it, it brings me to this text. It brings me to those, those times in scripture and in my own life where God is not afraid to take the delight of my eyes. And when I was 29 years old, I just found out I was pregnant with my son after, after like a year plus, um, of infertility and, and I was pregnant and so excited and my mother died of cancer. Yeah. And with no physical history of anything bad at all. And all of a sudden she has an aggressive terminal cancer. And I was so mad. I mean, I was mad. I'm like, I'm pregnant. I have the best mom in the world. She's the perfect person to lead me through into parenthood, and she's gone. Yeah. What are you doing? And, oh, 10 years later, how I have an abundant list of answers to that question. But that 29-year-old Bonnie had no idea what he was going to do right. with her death and how he was going to refine me and shape me in that in that tragedy and in that loss. But I, I feel so, it makes me sad that so many people that have those deep questions of what is God doing in my life, like doesn't he love me and isn't he good? Mm-hmm. They look at the tragedy and all they see is, God is not good. I do not like who he is. He hurts. And my answer in my head is like, yeah, he's not above that to get your attention. But, but it makes me so sad that that's where it stops for so many people. And that is my, if you were still listening to this, this deep in, I would let, I I just want you to know that God uses tragedy to Mm -hmm. wake us up. He, he uses uh, those tragedies and those circumstances, those acts of God, um, those tornadoes and hurricanes and Diagnoses we never saw coming, he uses those to call us back to him. He uses those to get our attention. And many times, as we're moving through life, like I said in the last episode, my moments on Purple Blanket, my moments of wrestle and connection with God Mm -hmm. that are the, the most intimate are usually on the heels of tragedy or they're usually on the heels of something has happened to me that I never wanted to happen and did not see coming and even maybe spent a lot of energy and time trying to make not happen (laughs) by my own will, trying to prevent things from happening. But they weren't a surprise to him. He saw it all and he had a plan to rescue me and to heal me from the tragedy. And the pain he saw happening all along. Specifically in my own life, I found myself in my first, maybe on the heels of my second year of marriage and my husband had deceived me and I knew he looked me right in the face and told me what wasn't true. And I hopped in the shower after a really good workout and as the sweat is dripping off my body, I am crying out to God like he's lying and I know it and i can't prove it i'm powerless there is nothing i can do about it but have you reveal it and i begged him and i said specifically lord tell me who this man really is show me who i'm married to and i thought he was going to do that in the few weeks in therapy or the months of therapy you're going to reveal that right now he didn't do that he waited 17 years to give me all sorts of interesting, crazy things I saw out of left field occur and showed me in kind of Ezekiel fashion, this is what you really got. And it brought me to my knees. And when I was on my knees, he reminded me that he had tried to show me throughout the entire marriage the truth. About what was going on, and I would I would see things that were not right. I would even call them out, and where there was gaslighting or manipulation or crazy making, I just kind of made excuses in my own head, or but just bought what he was selling. And I knew better in my gut, and my my gut, as I we all refer to it as our gut. It is my the spirit of God that dwells within me was telling me, pay attention. And I kept wearing my rose-colored glasses that I learned to wear early in my life and in childhood and how, to, how I survived other disappointments in life is I put on my rose-colored glasses and I said, well, I'll just look over here. I'll just th- look through this lens. Well, this is good this time. You know, at least I have this. And he was revealing to me repeatedly that what I had was not what I was telling myself that I had. And every time I attempted to fight for that and reveal that, it was met with a, a wall. Do you have an idea for a podcast but you're not sure how to turn it into reality? You need Ready, Set, Podcast. They make it super easy to create your own podcast. They can help record, edit, and publish your idea. They have prices to fit any budget, and options for both hobbyists and professional podcasters. So if you have an idea, reach out to them for a free consultation on their website or social media at www.ReadySetPodcast.xyz. Ready, set Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into reality. And so... I just gave up. After a while, I gave up trying to prove that there was there's something wrong here. And, and, and I just kept getting, nope, nothing's wrong here. What you see is, is not I would get stonewalled. I mean, I would go, huh, this is a little odd. Help me understand why you're doing this. Oh, well, there, here's the explanation for that. And if it seemed any like it didn't even take much to be like, okay, well, that doesn't seem odd. That doesn't seem right. But okay, well, I don't have any evidence, I guess, to prevent otherwise, so I just moved on. But over time, on that purple blanket and in that wrestle, I remember him telling me, like, I have showed you, and I did make choices that continued the relationship when it could have ended multiple places. I could have blown the whistle for good multiple places, but I chose not to, continuing to believe what I was told instead. And time after time, whenever I was getting betrayed and lied to and deceived, um, I wanna be very clear about something like, I'm not just talking about run-of-the-mill deceit. Um, I was very strategically manipulated and psychologically abused. The therapist that we sat in front of looked at him and said, you do realize you've been abusing her, correct? And that was the first time that anyone had ever substantiated that claim for me. I had looked at him and said, this is abusive. You are telling me what is not true so repeatedly. You are deceiving me, betraying me, and then telling me what I see is not true. And that is the definition of abuse. And then like, but we don't use it like that. That's the first time someone said it without me having to say, do you see what I see? Let me present all the evidence. This therapist, without me even telling her, the, she didn't even know the whole story. But she looked at him and said that, and he just had this look on his face like, <laughs> What? What are you talking about? Yeah. He didn't believe that at all, that he was abusing me. And, but it's a different kind. It's the kind people don't see. It's right. the wolf and sheep's clothing abuse. It's everybody sees the sheep. Nobody sees the wolf. And he makes sure that nobody sees mm-hmm. the wolf. And this woman was not buying it. She knew. And to have her say that in front of me, my goodness, it was so validating. And I thought, even up until that point, I thought I might be a little bit crazy. (sighs) I thought, am I really blowing things out of proportion, you know? But whenever she said that, I was like, wow, this is true. It's true. It is all true. I can believe it. And um, from that point forward, um, I had already decided I can handle no more and actually the Holy Spirit had given me permission and now I'm going to chase him a different way. You're done. And walked me out of that. And I call it my my Red Sea road, yeah. you know. He said, "I have used you to get a hold of him and to speak to him and at different points that we will talk about later, he yeah. he prompted me to love him and show mercy to him. He says his love is long suffering and he asked me to do that and but he blew he blew the whistle. He said, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and then at at some point he walked me out of it and said, I'm doing a different thing now. You're not I'm not using you to get to him mm-hmm. anymore. Your part is over. And when that word came, and I specifically remember it laying in bed on a Saturday morning and he spoke those freedom words to me. And I sighed, (laughs) I was just like, oh my goodness, it's gonna end this torture is gonna end, it, 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 it's it's gonna be hard, and he told me it was gonna be hard, and I, I didn't wanna do it either, because walking through a divorce sucks. Let me tell you, I specialized in doing this nine years before this ever happened to me. I would, my, not by my own doing, totally God, I just kept getting person after person, woman after woman, um, that was going through narcissistic abuse, and I was helping them walk out um, Divorce from really manipulative um, people, and I—I I found myself in the same situation, going, "Oh my goodness, you gave me nine years of training for this. How good are you? You prepared me. I know what I need to do. Even whenever I'm steeped in betrayal, betrayal, and and the trauma of that, I know what my next steps are." And he. He parted that Red Sea, and he gave me specific practical steps to take to get me out of that. And I saw his love in that, in that season, that I was depending on my husband for a love he could not give me. He cannot give me that and could not give me that. And he was showing me, I am going to be your rock, totally. You will no longer depend on him. It's going to be you and me. And so... That, that led to so many so much growth in me I, I did not even know I had yet to grow. He Tell used that. that do it Tell me a little bit about that. Well, in that, in that season, I had to go against what a lot of people thought was the right thing to do. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a conservative Christian branch of church and um, you don't divorce, and for any reason. I had one of my closest friends tell me, um, you made vows, you can't divorce him. We don't support this. And God is very specific in Matthew that if you are betrayed by your spouse due to, um, it says, marital unfaithfulness, which explicitly talks about sexual unfaithfulness, um, you are given a permission to divorce by God Almighty. I had that permission over and over and over. I had that permission. I had that permission thousands of times over. I was betrayed numerous times. I'll never even know. I'll never know the full story, and I'm glad I don't because I don't think I could handle all of that trauma. But I know enough to know that I had God's blessing to walk out. But in the midst of that, He told me, you will lose, for, you will lose a lot more. You will lose more than your relationship. Your kids may blame you. Your friends may blame you. Your church may blame you. Your family will not understand this. He told me this will be hard. This is, a, this is going to be a road that you, you will not enjoy taking, but trust me, I have plans in it. I'm walking you out with a purpose. And so it wasn't out long after that that I saw some of the relationships, a lot of the relationships that were ending with my friends, with people in that who, who I was close with needed to end for what he's calling me to. And he's real busy with me right now. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because even knowing that there's a higher calling
0: in it, and a greater purpose for all of it. It Mm -hmm. doesn't take the sting out of that. It's still painful. And to walk through that is just, it's a lot. You know, he Mm -hmm. asks a lot. He never said that we would have a life free of pain. In fact, I mean, every relationship that I see in scripture, um, where someone chooses to follow Christ, it comes at great cost to them. Yes, it does. And I don't know why, as a society, we somehow think that it should be different for us. Mm -hmm. If we're going to have a relationship with Christ, he promises to never leave us, but it will come at a cost to us. And how, how come our society thinks otherwise? It just kind of blows my mind a little bit.
1: Right. I have had so many people in the counseling room say things along the lines of when when they're in trial obviously if you're in on my couch you've probably been through trauma right. um, and that's as that's my primary focus of treatment but um, when people ask that especially particularly Christians who are who are already coming in with some relationship mm-hmm. with God or a knowing of God or a believing of God they say like I just don't know if I like him like he's he's allowing me to go through this. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you are going to like him. Because <laughs> uh, if you really, do you want to be a baby Christian or you want to be a grown-up Christian? Because yes. it, it continues to shock me at how many people, they want the mature faith. They right. want the mature, um, the friends they, of that. they want to be strong, but they don't want to go through the journey that makes them strong. Mm-hmm. I have heard so many people now, my family, my friends have said to me, you have been so strong in this. And or I'm just amazed at how you've walked this out. And uh, I'm like, you, you know how I've walked it out on my face. Mm-hmm. I've walked it out with stock and Kleenex. I've walked it out pouring tears out to my savior when no one calls or texts to see how I am. But he knows. I've walked it out alone, feeling alone and mm-hmm. dropped. And then slandered behind my back. However, God is saying at every time that that happened, He said, "Did they not do that to me?" Yeah. Read Matthew twenty-seven, child. Did they not spit on me, curse me, talk about me, and hey, you're a sinner. I am right. not. And accuse me when I was innocent. You right. know, like you have sinned. You're not perfect. You have flaws. I'm trying to clean up and sin. I'm trying to clean up. I was blameless and I had every right to defend myself. You, on the other hand, you actually are a sinner. But he, we have a cross to bear. Whenever we're called into ministry, which is, you know, All of us. Exactly. The Great Commission is a ministry. If you come to Christ, he doesn't say, oh, great. You're a Christian. Hang on to that. Hope you do. He's saying, go into all the world and preach the good news to the lost. Tell people who I am and how much I love. And um, to do that, to really do that means you've got to go against our culture and Mm -hmm. our culture more than ever. When I was growing up, even just, you know, I'm only 39. When I was growing up, Everyone was a Christian for the most part, at least they said they were, and so we do live in the Bible Belt, right? Oh, totally do. (laughs) And so God, there's a church on every corner. In Mm -hmm. fact, there's churches on multiple churches on every street. And so, it as a culture, we talk God, but we're not living God so much, you know, to really live God, or better said, to live in relationship with God trusting in him, reading his word, following his decrees, that is going to put you at war with the world, with, yeah, with the culture. our culture. Yeah. Yes. The, the church today is compromised, much like Ezekiel's day. God's people, the Israelites, in Ezekiel's day were living compromised. And God is not above bringing us to our knees, bringing us low, to lift us back into his bosom and hold us close. Yeah, that's suffering. He's not above using suffering. To bring us into relationship again. Yeah. With him. Our first love. He was our first love. He said, I formed you I knit you in your mother's womb. He knew us when nobody else knew us. He loved us first before we ever knew to love him back. And when we are out loving, we are very much... I understand God's feelings of betrayal on a whole new level, walking out um, the in the aftermath of the betrayal trauma I have walked. Yeah. We do to God what I just recently experienced in my marriage. He's loving us purely, and we have other loves, yeah we have gone to other idols. We have strongholds that are, that are nothing like the love of God. You know, and He's proven time
0: and time again that He'll do whatever it takes to bring us back to Him, you know, mm-hmm. and it's often in those moments of our greatest loss and pain that we're reminded of the hope we need, and it's beyond this world, and that, that is the presence of God in our life.
1: Mm-hmm. And so it, it, in, the, in my own life and in the lives of, of those that I walk with, in their darkest days. It is so inspiring to me to see God's hand in those, those events of suffering. And it is a, a wonderful thing when someone uses their free will to ask, where are you, God? And where to, how do I find you in this suffering? And when they will search, He promises. You will find me when you search with your whole heart, you will find me. You come to him with those questions
0: and he will meet you where you are.
1: He always does.